Hello. 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 And welcome, welcome to, to LaughBox. LaughBox, the podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And now, here's your host, Chip Lutz. Well, here we are, ready for Laugh Box. And I'm calling this episode, It's About Time, because I did this interview with David Tarvin last year at the conference, and then I lost it. And the other day, I was going through my computer, and I found it. And I was like, Yahtzee! So it's about time that we hear from David Tarvin. A really great interview. Uh, We share a little about uh, uh, things he shared in his talk at the conference last year. Uh, Super smart guy, uh, super funny guy. Uh, We hit uh, a lot of different things in the conversation. I know you're going to dig it. I am so glad that I finally found it. So, without further ado, here's our good buddy, David Tarvin, sharing his huge brain. Hello, friends, and welcome to Laugh Box, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And today, awesome day, live here at the conference. I had his brother on the show, but this is going to be even better because he's the smarter, more educated Tarvin. I get to talk to David Tarvin uh, a little bit about his session he did today and some of the work he does in humor. So welcome, my friend, to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. Now, obviously, we spent a little time together. I know your backstory, but for our listeners, if you could share a little bit about uh, who you are. All right. Well, uh, I teach at Texas A&M University. I've been there for five years. I teach in the communication department, uh, courses like public speaking, intercultural communication, and most recently I developed a course on the rhetoric of humor. So I wanted to come to AATH to talk about that. Um, And before A&M, I traveled the world. I lived in Costa Rica, China, Mexico. Uh, I did my PhD at LSU. That is probably where I experienced the most culture shock was Louisiana. So uh, definitely a, a, a fun experience. Right. Um, and, and I want to talk about the, the uh, your session here, but some of the other stuff I think is interesting as well that we can throw in there. Before we get in our conversation, I'll just ask you a random question. Just get our, our conversation uh, going. So um, if you could go back in um, time. Yeah to your younger life and do something different, what would you do? Whoa. What would you go back to and what would you do different? Wow. I was driving to, after graduation, after high school graduation, I drove down to Florida with my friends for spring break. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was going about 88 and a 55, got pulled over in Kentucky and uh, I was forced to go to court Mm -hmm. and I had too many points on my driver's license so at court they made me take either lose my license or go take classes Uh so I had to take classes by taking those classes I found a new university Moorhead State and that's where I ended up going for my undergraduate I was planning on going to a different university Uh for years that ticket haunted me my insurance was high any problem I had at Moorhead I was like it's because of that stupid speeding ticket I should be at Wright State where I belong back in Ohio (laughs) So for many, many years, if you would have asked me that question, 
I would have said that speeding ticket. Uh-huh. But because of that speeding ticket, I've had the privilege to, to see the world. Because uh-huh. Moorhead is where I met uh, Dr. Frank, who I, I spoke about a little bit in my session. Um, and he really changed my life. So that would not be the case. So I'll start with a not example. <laughs> oh, man. There was one time my mom came home from work and I was taking a nap and she said, uh, you take a lot of naps. And I said, that's because you're always in a bad mood when you get home from work. And my dad later told me that that crushed my mom. Uh-huh. So if I could change anything in my younger years, it was not saying that to oh, her. Oh, that's sweet though. <laughs> that you go back and not hurt your mom's feelings. Yeah. Oh man, that's nice. That's nice. That's, that's uh, the thing that I stay up at night sometimes. You know, yeah. like right before you go to bed, you it's go like, back. man, you why did I say that to mom? And relive. I mean, that's the, thing. that's the thing with life. I mean, you can't go back and change things. All you can do is, you know, think, oh, the opportunity comes up again. I'm going to do that a little different. So right. yeah. that's awesome. Now. You know, the work that you're doing in education, I mean, because you know, I think it's uh, pretty cool that, uh, you know, you shared this morning that in your classes, like, you know, it's a, it's a lecture hall with 300 students and, you know, so many other uh, professors only get like half their students there, but your students there all the time. I mean, you know, w- what drives them there? Uh, great question. I think a lot of that is that they're afraid I'm going to call on them. Um, so... <laughs> The idea that I'm going to make a joke out of them, about them, uh, about an experience they've had. I often draw a lot of people that I meet, so they're afraid. Like, there's nothing worse to them than finding out that I drew a picture of them and used them as an example in lecture, and that's the day they decided not to show up. Right. And so they start showing up more and more. So whereas a lot of professors tend to have a, a lot of students at the beginning of the semester that by the end trickles out. Mm-hmm. My classes tend to be the opposite, where I have, you know, the normal amount at the beginning of the semester, but as the semester progresses, more people are coming. Like people that aren't even registered for the class? Sometimes. That's hilarious. They're like, like, who are you? You're like, I don't know. Everybody said this was just a great class to sit in on. Yeah. I got Netflix for this class. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. For Halloween this past year, I was a squirrel in a full squirrel outfit, and I was walking across campus to my class, and I get there, and there's more people than normal like a lot more people like all the seats were taken and i'm like what is going on was something did something big happen Mm -hmm. and i guess i made the campus story the like instagram account because they're like we saw you we found out you were a professor then we saw you walking on campus so we just followed you to your classroom that's that's amazing i mean like with social i mean think about the social media aspect of you know word spreading on campus like that i mean because like my, you know, all my uh, college was non-traditional. I mean, you know, I was in the Navy, I went to night school mm. and, and stuff, and we didn't have social media back then. Back right. in the day, it was, back, everything yeah. was like, you know, on stone tablets and post-its. That's how we live. That's actually still how I live. Um, it's really pretty sad. <laughs> but that, I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing that somebody takes a picture is like, you know, hashtag nutty professor, you know, and, you know, I don't know if that was the hashtag or not. They, I hope it was because that's brilliant right there. <laughs> but that would be, you know, and then everybody's like, we got to go to this class. You know, that's we pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, you know, think about the whole uh, learning portion, you know, and using humor in that. I mean, I would think that um, it's got to not only make your students a little more engaged, but I would think that it, it helps in their retention as well. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing. Uh, other professors will tell me, oh, a student was talking about this concept in class, and they explained it so well. And I was like, how did you learn that? And they, oh, Dr. Tarvin told us about his dog that did this, and, mm-hmm. that, and I just remember that story. Or Dr. Tarvin told me about this event. And mm-hmm. so professors are coming up to me, and they're telling me stories, and I'm like, 
how did you hear that? That's mm. my, that, that, that's me. That's my story. <laughs> that's my you story. can't be telling my story. Um, <laughs> you need to like, you, you copyright all your stories. So <laughs> exactly. like if you hear from another professor, like telling your story, say, hey, copyright infringement, that, buddy. Yeah, you right, know, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you might, be, you might, you know, be senior and a little more tenured, but you know, that's my story. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, cause I mean, like I, I just, you know, I know that uh, in my personal life, you know, Humor is a great connection tool, and I had an opportunity to talk to uh, a guy when I was doing my master's thesis, and I was on humor and education. His, uh, his name was Father John Noss, and he actually taught a class in the philosophy of humor. And something he said you know, in you know, our interview, and he's passed away now, um, but he, he shared that uh, he, he looked at humor as a uh, humor. What he said was humor renders learners benevolent. And that, you know, always like stuck with me, um, you know, when I was, you know, uh, teaching Navy classes or teaching, you know, that, you know, if I were able to use it, then, you know, it was just such a, such a different connection with the people around me, you know, and I, I would think that you've got to, you know, you know, be so grateful that you've got that gift where you're able to connect with your students like that. I do. I am so thankful. I'm right at that cusp of that age, though, where students, I've always thought of myself as like with that generation for the last like 10 years. But uh, I had a student that studied abroad with me and we were talking about her parents and I found out that both of her parents are younger than I am. And I'm like, wait, I could be your father? So this whole time I'm thinking I'm like your crazy older brother when really I'm like your crazy older uncle. Like, right. That's really funny. Um, Cause that is a transition point in your life. I'm gonna tell you, cause I remember teaching a class and I made a reference to the TV show Cheers, right? And um, I was like, you know, I was like, I basically said, you know, every classic got a Cliff Clavin at it. And everybody looked at me like, Cliff, Cliff Clavin, who's that? And I was like, you know, from the TV show Cheers. And for me in my head, Cheers had just gone off the air yesterday. Yeah, but it, yeah. it had been over a decade, right? And so everybody was looking at me like, I don't know what the, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And I was like, oh, I've crossed the threshold. <laughs> I've crossed that generational divide, you know. My humor is not relevant anymore. <laughs> exactly. It's. I actually read Harry Potter for the first time this uh, in 2018 because all of my students were like, "You do all these popular cultural references, but you've never done Harry Potter." And I'm like, mm -hmm. "Well, that wasn't my generation." And mm -hmm. they were like, "We'll make it your generation." Um, and now I include Harry Potter. Oh, kudos to you! I mean, for like actually, you know, asking the questions and then actually going out and and you know, like, "Well, I'm gonna learn," because I think a lot of people. You know, they do get stale because they don't stay, you know, current, especially when you're dealing with the younger crowd. I mean, if you're right. dealing with your same crowd, I mean, you can use the same stuff all the time. But I mean, you think about that and you staying relevant right. and making, you know, um, to uh, and making your um, stuff relevant. That's awesome. Um, now, let's uh, go a little bit into, you know, your presentation this morning because I just thought it was you know, awesome. You know, one that you use, you know, so many different things um, to, uh, you know. Uh, explain humor and how humor um, works. So let's talk about a little bit uh, about the um, uh, rhetoric of humor. The so um, yeah, humor, yeah, this throw it out there. I'm just gonna like you know, now. You don't have to give your whole presentation over again because you know, <laughs> right, but, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> but let's talk about. It. I mean, you know, where did the the concept come from? And you know, then we can delve into it a little bit. Sure. Uh, yeah. So uh, let's see. I was wanting to teach a course on humor and. Uh, the department chair was like, but why? And I was like, because it has persuasive capabilities. And he's like, oh, it does? And I was like, yes, it does. And then I was like, oh my gosh, why did I just say that? You know, mm -hmm. I don't have the research to back that up at that moment. Right. And so I left that meeting, like, you know, running to the computer to make sure that I didn't just make a lie to my department head. 
And uh, yeah, there's there's plenty out there. I mean, not a lot out right. there, but there's enough out there that I was like, okay, I'm on the, I'm on the right track. My brother Drew, who's an improviser uh, and stand-up comedian, he came to my class a couple of times um, to guest lecture. And what I was finding at the end of the year, so he would teach for one class, one hour out of you know the 15 week semester, my teaching evaluations at the end would say Drew's class was great. Oh, I just love Drew. Drew was awesome. <laughs> and I'm you, like, you're like, I was there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He is no longer allowed in my classroom. Like this is, is my class. Hilarious. But he's doing something right, mm-hmm. and and uh, they are captivated by it. They're paying attention and. He would throw, he would try, before he'd come guest lecture, he'd be like, what are you teaching this week? And I'd tell him. And so he'd incorporate that into the improv activities. And then, you know, towards the end of the semester when it's exam time, they'd be like, is it like that time your brother told us yes and? Like we should have that mindset? And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, right? So after I told my department head that I wanted to teach this course, and then I proved my, then I had to run and, and make sure that I was factual in my statements, I was like, actually, this is a great area mm-hmm. of research and so then I, I really dived into it I focus on Aristotle um, because I think he's the most well-known right philosopher from ancient Greece Gorgias is one of my favorites but I start with Aristotle and but his, nobody's heard of Gorgias nobody knows who Gorgias <laughs> hey, who the hell is Gorgias yeah he's the first <laughs> lawyer but nobody likes that right <laughs> oh yeah uh, and so I uh, I start with Aristotle, and he has the rhetorical triangle, uh-huh. and I was looking at, at, at several different things, and I'm thinking, okay, does humor fall in logic? Does mm-hmm. humor fall in, in credibility? Does humor fall in, in suffering? Okay, it's not suffering. It must be these other two. Oh, it's definitely here in logic. And then I'm starting to do more research and starting to see, well, actually, humor and suffering are like, they go hand in hand, because as Kenneth Burke says, um, the communication scholar, it's the corrective to tragedy, his comedy. And so mm-hmm. uh, then I was like, okay, it relates to, to pathos, to, to suffering. It relates to ethos or credibility. It relates mm-hmm. to logos, obviously, with incongruous logic. And um, there's something missing, though, because Aristotle doesn't really mention humor too much. When he, when he talked about humor, he thought it was more manipulative than it was persuasive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's an area that we can dive into and develop and discuss is it manipulative or is it actually just persuasion Mm -hmm. Um, and so in my session this morning I talked about a Serbian group that used humor called Otpor and they used humor to overcome the suffering that was in place on them by the dictators in Serbia and uh, they used logic they used credibility they used pathos but all in a humorous way right and so that's what I was calling humos right which I, I, I love, you know, the, 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 the fact that you brought up, you know, make, kind of made it your own term. You know, you're like, you know, <laughs> Humos, David Tarvin, TM, like that. Yeah, you know, right. got, got Humos, you know, you can have t-shirts you it, like yeah. that. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, that's like good. The, you know, have humos. little t-shirts that say that, you know. I, I definitely have those at the conference next year. Should oh, have that's had a good idea. Had that, you know. Oh, yeah, that would be perfect. Man, yeah. I need to think about branding. Yeah, well, yeah, I, just, I have lots of great ideas. I just am, I suck on execution. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, uh, can we double a little bit into, like, you know, the, the, the rhetoric triangle and, you know, uh, like an example of each one of those and how they, they uh, humor plays into ethos, logos, and pathos? Yeah. Can we, can we you know, get in? Because uh, it, it's fascinating to me thinking, because 
you know, um, thinking about that in, you know, pers- in the per- in persuading people um, and, and living uh, living life a little bit differently. So, you know, let's, let's start with your favorite one. Okay. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, the thing that I find most interesting is that Aristotle is responding to Plato in the Socratic dialogues. And so Plato says that rhetoric um, is a negative thing because you can get people to do anything without any justice behind mm-hmm. it. Um, and so he found it to be manipulative. And so Aristotle said, no, if you have ethos, if you have credibility, you will use the other two logic and pathos or emotions in a way that is beneficial to society. And so I think that's why he was kind of against uh, humor is because it, it hurt your credibility in ancient Greece. Um, my favorite of them, or what I po- propose to my students is I ask them, which do you think is most persuasive? And they always say logos. They're like, logic is most persuasive. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is the least persuasive of all right, of them. Right. I say, okay, how many of you have a test, uh, say tomorrow, and so you know logically that you have to study for this test. That's logos. Logically, I need to stay home tonight and study for this test. Right. But then your friend calls and your friend says, come on out with us to the bar. You know, it's such and such birthday. They're using their own credibility, right? I'm your good friend. I'm not trying to hurt it. Come to the bar with us. Be friends, right? So they're using that ethos. Um, and that typically doesn't do too much either. But then they say, think FOMO, right? You're going to miss out on life if right. you don't come out tonight. And all of a sudden they're afraid of that suffering, that they're going to miss something and they're no longer studying for that exam, that pathos is what persuaded them to get, uh, to go out there. And uh, the example that I often use is Hurricane Katrina, mm-hmm. uh, a very tragic event, but I think that the way that we respond to it is extremely uh, humorous uh, because, as you know, I went and got my PhD from LSU, so Hurricane Katrina, the effects of it were, are still you know, you can still see the effects of Hurricane Katrina right. in Louisiana. So it was what a lot of people were talking about. How in the next big event like a hurricane do we evacuate people? Because thousands of people died that they could have hopefully been able to, to persuade them to leave. And uh, I talk about the logo. So logos, the logic, they had uh, forecast, weather forecasters saying, you know, this is going to be one of the worst storms, 100-year storms in Louisiana history, you right. need to leave, it's gonna be bad, and people wanna leave. And then they use the ethos of the mayor, so the mayor goes on and he tries to convince people to leave, and you know, some folks did, but not a great majority of them. And then the police department used pathos, and they went to individuals with permanent markers and said, write your social security number on your arm, because when we find your body, not if, but mm-hmm. when we find your body, um, we need to be able to identify you and finally people left New Orleans and so I think that's absurd that we don't uh, listen to our forecasters our weather forecasters I think it's incongruous that we don't listen to a mayor who creates a mandatory evacuation right and I think it's really comedic that it took that that almost absurd suffering like that is crazy not if but when you die right right uh, I think that's comedic and so I think of all of them, pathos is definitely the most persuasive, as in the case of the example of not studying for your exam because you'll miss out, as is the case with uh, Hurricane Katrina. And so, like Aristotle, it's my least favorite one because it's it's the one that seems the, the most prone to manipulation. Right. And I think that ethos is really important. 
And so if you can build your credibility up, you can really use pathos in a way, suffering in a way that is beneficial, right? If somebody yells fire, you, you leave, you've run out of the room, right? right. But if, a com if somebody keeps saying fire, like the boy who cried wolf, right? You're gonna be like, oh, that, whatever, that idiot, mm -hmm. right? Um, so if you have the credibility and you're like, guys, there's a fire, we need to leave, it's, you're not using pathos, you're not saying, you're gonna die, right? You're, right? You persuaded them through your own ethos by telling them that you need to leave. And so I think that my favorite would be ethos, credibility. Oh. So, I mean, so uh, for a person that is using, uh, looking to use humor to persuade, how do, you, how do you build that out, you know, given you know, the, the triangle? I mean, what's, what's, do you have a process of, you know, kind of like looking at how to, you know, uh, build your, 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 your humor ethos? Your okay. humor ethos? Yeah, there you go, right? Yeah. Uh, well, whenever there's a, a popular cultural event, I tend to look at it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Like, are, is this funny because it's the person's logic? Is it funny because they're like trying to overcome suffering? Is it mm -hmm. funny because it's just the person that's saying it. Like mm -hmm. Rodney Dangerfield could say anything, and I thought it was hilarious. And there's a reference that our students wouldn't know who right. he was. Unless, and well, you know, there's some. Well, it was funny because there are some movies that are amazing to me. That um, like the his uh, movie uh, Back to School. You know, they oh, made yeah. you know mm -hmm. in the eighties. Yeah, it's funny to me. Like some movies that uh, because of Netflix. They're they, reemerging. They, yeah, you know, they're reemerging, and it's like, oh, no, it's like, like I made my kids watch The Jerk with Steve Martin. <laughs> they're like, I don't want to watch this. I'm like, no, you are going to watch this because we need to, we need to have this reference point that you understand where I'm coming from when I say this right here. Exactly, you know that's I mean? great. Yeah. If I'm gonna sing, I'm picking out of a thermos, picking out a thermos for you. I don't want you to look at me like I'm crazy. I want you to get the reference. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's definitely the case. I think yeah. that's where we mess out on parenting. Is that you know we. It's like, no, you know, we give our kids too much leeway and how they build their humor library. You know, it's like, no, you need to, you need to live, you know, some of my appreciate that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> experts before your time for sure. So, but anyway, but, I digress, but I was just going off on a tangent on Rodney Dangerfield, but, um, you were saying, yeah. So what I, to create humor, um, my brother actually drew Tarvin wrote this in one of his books about the humor map, the medium audience and purpose. And I think if you keep that in mind, the medium being how you're going to deliver humor. Um, so when I am in a large lecture class, I feel like I'm a stand-up comedian. It just comes to me naturally, and mm -hmm. I can just pull on people in the audience, and, and uh, it's, it's very easy. But then those same students come just to office hours, and they're like, man, you're much funnier in the classroom, right? That's it's, funny. Uh, it's like, well, this isn't the situation, you know? So. Uh, I, the medium or, or how you're going to do the message is really important. Um, my emails used to come across as a little sarc Everybody thought my emails, they would ask me something and I would just write back, oh no, I don't think so. And they would, re you know, in person, they'd be like, man, I didn't mean to upset you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, your email. It was like, no, period. And I was like, that's because my answer was no. And they're like, yeah, but that period, man, I could just tell you were angry. And I'm like, <laughs> No, period. <laughs> I'm not angry. I was just giving you my response. You That's know? so funny. So I, I've had to incorporate either little funny lines at the end of emails or include hyperlinks to videos just so people know that I'm coming from a good place. That is hilarious. I mean, it's funny on like just, I mean, you're obviously a professor of communications, but you know, think of um, 
of how that message gets misconstrued just because uh, you're precise in your communication. You don't right because I always look at emails like you know it doesn't need to be a book. I don't need to write a book back to you. It's an email. It's an email, right? I mean, you yeah, want to have exactly. a conversation? Call me. I mean, we'll talk <laughs> about it. You know, but I mean, but you know, if the answer is no, like you said, I just no. No, but yeah. people then interpret it so much so different. That's so hilarious. Yeah. So I, you funny. have to know your medium. You have to you know have to know if it's face to face, your communication style is one way, and right. if it's face to face with three hundred students. It's different than face to face, or even listening to a podcast. Right, right. right. Um, so know your medium, and then I look at the audience. Is the the A in the map, right? Know who your audience is. We were just talking like I can't use uh, Rodney Dangerfield jokes in the classroom because for the majority of them, they're not going to get it. Right. Um, Friends, on the other hand, is huge on Netflix right now, so I can use anything from Friends, and they instantly get it. Really, The Office, huge. Yeah, yeah they get it instantly. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Friends is huge. I didn't know Friends was huge. I knew The Office is huge because my daughter um, uh, and her partner they um, they watch The Office, and I, I like I've seen every episode like ten times. So yeah. It's like I've I've got a reference point with them on stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, and it's funny, no matter how much it's on, I will watch it again. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. The thing but, that's sad is last two years ago I had a student named Chandler, and I was like, "Oh, your name's Chandler. You know, there's a show called Friends," and he's like, "I'm named after Chandler," and I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." <laughs> In the same class, I had another student named Phoebe, and she's like, and I'm named after Phoebe from Friends. And I'm like, oh my gosh, have you ever even seen this show? And they're like, are you kidding me? The entire class is like, that's what we watch while we're like doing homework, because it's on Netflix. So they just put it on. and it... oh, That is so interesting. But now it's just funny that that show's old enough that yeah. my kids are named after those characters. That's, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling super old right now. <laughs> super old. <laughs> that's what I do, is bring you down. Thank you, Thank you so much. <laughs> Knowing your audience. That's yeah, know your talking. audience. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and then the final one was purpose. So why are you even trying to incorporate humor in the first place? And right. I think that's where the rhetorical triangle can really be beneficial. So if you're trying to persuade them to leave the city of New Orleans during right. a hurricane, okay, they're not paying attention to the forecasters. They're not paying attention to logic. They're not paying attention to ethos or the government officials saying things. Mm-hmm. They're paying attention to pathos, to suffering. And so in that case, find some humorous moments that we can maybe play to the pathos right. in that situation. But other times, you know, like if you're talking to engineers, know your audience, right? What's the purpose that you're trying to get across? Right. And then with those engineers, you're probably going to use logos a little bit more um, because they care that one plus one equals two. Right. right? They, uh, they're very engineering. Yeah. 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 You've got a brother like that's an engineer. I've had a brother that's an engineer. You know, it's, it's, um, it's it, and what's funny is my brother, it's an engineer. He's not as funny as your brother. I mean, what's funny is that with my brother, he's got a really great sense of humor, but it's really, really dry. Oh. And people like when he says something that's, you know, pretty witty, they, um, his delivery is so dry. They take him seriously. They don't, yeah. yeah. And so they, they don't, they don't know where they stand on stuff <laughs> with him. And it's really, it's really kind of comical to me, you know, so. Yeah. If you know, if you're friends with the people that are like that, you get their humor and it's right. hilarious watching everybody else look at them like what yeah yeah, yeah but with him he's just like yeah I mean, nobody at work gets me you know i say this is really funny but they just don't you know they just don't they don't ever laugh I'm like that's because you always seem like you have a stick up your craw you know so, <laughs> yeah say so, with a smile maybe it'll so, maybe the delivery maybe right, it's in the yeah, delivery maybe you know know your message. audience like you said yeah. know, yeah. know, know your, your audience. audience that's exactly right. uh, so have you ever had, had um you know in the classroom like um like use humor with no purpose.
back with David Tarvin, Dr. David Tarvin, but now it's time for Fun Facts. Uh, fun Facts is where I share facts about laughter, humor, sometimes the absurd, and since we're talking about education, this one is from Edutopia. And the fact is, laughter and learning, humor boosts retention. Uh, humor activates the brain's dopamine reward system, stimulating goal-oriented motivation and long-term memory, which means that humor can improve retention in students of all ages. We all know this to be true, but sometimes... Most instructors I had have forgotten it, so get out there and remind them. Hey everyone, this is Paul Ozinka, president of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, inviting you to join us this May 14th through 17th at our annual conference in New Orleans. It's gonna be awesome. The theme this year is diagnosis happiness. So we've got experts from positive psychology, neuroscience, therapeutic humor, even comedy, sharing their wisdom on the relationship between humor and happiness. Now, of course, no conference can be all work and learning. So we're gonna be right there in the heart of the French Quarter. So you can sneak off, grab yourself a beignet and see all that New Orleans has to offer. Can't wait to see you there. We're going to get right back to Dr. David Tarvin right now. Um, I'll apologize. Some of the parts of this conversation are a little bit light. It was a big room, so uh, you might have to turn your volume up and down a little bit, but it doesn't negate the quality of the content. So hope you're writing some stuff down. This guy is super smart. So let's get back to David. just if I am telling a story to maybe start the the day off uh, I, I have a dog her name is grandma and uh, I, I oftentimes talk about grandma and I don't tell them that she's my dog it, I just let them figure it out so right. like I'll start one day like well grandma you know peed and got in my bed last night and peed all over the place so I had to put her in the crate <laughs> And, you know, some students are like, I'm sorry, what did he just say? That's right. You know, they don't or, get their attention. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, uh, I have to cut off. class early today because I have to go get grandma spayed. Uh-huh. The look on their faces for that one was just, I wish I had a camera because it was just perfect. But so there's there's instances where I just throw but in But even that, I think, moments. you know, even though it's like the element, you know, that uh, you could say there's no purpose, but the purpose really is to, you know, get their attention. Oh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 to me in some ways, that, that element of whimsy, because it's, you know, keeping, you know, especially a large lecture hall like that, keeping, you know, you know people's attention, it's got to, you know, got to be a little more difficult, you know, so that, you know, the stuff that you do, you know, draws them in and, you know, keeps them coming back. That is so awesome. You know, so, I mean, I, like I said, my educational experience is so much different. I had never sat in a lecture hall with 300, you know, oh, was yeah. like smaller, smaller groups, like 25 people. So you pretty much had to pretend, at least pretend like you were paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> you can get lost in 300 people, you know, so where you could, if you're sleeping or, you know, chances are you wouldn't notice. Right. And then 300 people you don't notice in the smaller classrooms you do. Yeah. And I tend to do better with the large lectures. Uh, I When I teach the, I think when you teach a large lecture class and you say something that's kind of comedic, if one person laughs, it's infectious. Right. And so a bunch of people start laughing and then all of a sudden you do sound like a stand-up comedian because you have 300 people laughing or at least giggling. Right. When, you teach the, when I teach small classes and I say a joke, there's no laughter and that's because 
there's not that one person that kind of starts it off. And there's not the, the um, like in a big group in there, there's more anonymity and it's safer. Right. It's mm-hmm. so much safer to laugh, right? Mm-hmm. So in a small class like that, you know, like uh, I, there's almost the peer pressure not to laugh because, you know, learning is serious, right. you know? It's, and, uh, and so it's, it's interesting you bring that up because as a speaker, I noticed that too. Oh, yeah. I'd much rather speak to a much larger group because there's there's safety for people to kind of let right, go and yeah. laugh but if it's small you know 10 12 people what's that person going to think if i laugh exactly it's, it's so much more intimate and they're like oh, i don't even think that i'm i'm weird cuz i laughed at that i mean so it's interesting that you brought that up cuz it's yeah. such, it's so it's true across the board so that's awesome um now you know for your you know the work that you're doing are you like working on a book that's going to go along with the the uh, rhetoric of humor cuz i think that would be awesome yeah well uh, I have. Uh, I mean, cause your brother's putting out a book a week. Oh my gosh, he's driving me crazy too. <laughs> and like, I try and call him to ask. I need a tip for an improv exercise for class, and he's like, uh, "I'll call you tomorrow. I'm working on my book." <laughs> I'm like, "You just published a book. How could you be working on another one already?" Like, oh, calm down. You're like, I'm the professor. Here. Right, exactly. I need to be doing all this book writing. Yeah. But I, when I was listening to you this morning, and you know, look, I was like, that would make you know an excellent. Um, you know, a book, especially if you're, you know, you, you know taking it all and, you know, uh, looking at, you know, how to, you know, apply it. And I was, I, I was, I was hoping that I was like, oh, David's going to say he's, he's going to put this out, publish this someplace. And the, yeah, uh, well, there's this weird juxtaposition because I would like to, mm-hmm. but the medium, mm-hmm. right? So medium audience purpose, the medium, I'm funny in person sometimes. I don't want to sound like I think I'm funny. But, uh, you know, I get laughs in person. Mm-hmm. But like I said, with the emails, apparently when I do written communication, it comes off a little drier or even sarcastic or, mm-hmm. or mean. Um, <laughs> or mean. <laughs> and so there's this weird juxtaposition because I want to write something that's both humorous and accessible. Right. But being a college professor, I have to also make sure that it's academic. And so right. that triad is really difficult to navigate. That's, that's, that's that. So I have so much in writing and research mm-hmm. that will never be, you know, that's just sitting on my computer uh, because I haven't figured out a way to, to, to garner the message in the right. exact perfect way. And I really despise feedback, um, positive <laughs> or negative. I just, I prefer actually, I prefer negative feedback that's, that's constructive. So this, right. here are the things you did wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, the, here are ways you can improve. Right. But sometimes, you know, you you say something and people are like, that was great. And I'm just awkwardly like, thank you. Uh, I don't, that is, is awkward. Yeah. I don't like unsolicited feedback. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, if I ask somebody, it's like, hey, do you mind? I'm going to be doing this. Can you take a look? You know, give me a little pointer here and there. Because, you know, but, you know, people that afterwards like, well, you know, this part right here could have done better on this. And be like, you know, I mean, I, I'm always like, I don't remember asking. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember. Listen, I don't remember you, asking. You did, yeah. You know, thanks. But, Bye bye. But yeah. Now, uh, I really enjoy, like I said, I really enjoyed your talk, not trying to make you uncomfortable. Um, really enjoyed talking to you here. Um, you know, if um, you're open to it, I mean, where people can, can they connect with you, you know, outside, you know, if they're on the podcast, like, ah, oh, you know, this is a cool guy. I would like to know more about him. You know, where can they, where can they get them more David Tarvin? Oh, sure. My email is dtarvin at tamu.edu. So tamu, T A M U. Um, and then I, my website's davidtarvin.com. Oh, cool. All yeah. right. Awesome. So, there it is, David Tarvin. I didn't know you had a website. Yeah. See, now I'm gonna it be has going my there. AA Teach speech from last year up there. So oh, awesome. Now, um, 
I always I like to end with my fast five questions. So I'm just going to answer these, uh, ask you these questions. Just whatever's on the okay, top of your head. I'm not going right. to think about them. Question number one. Who's your favorite comedian? Ellen DeGeneres. All right, good. Number two. What's your go-to funny movie? What We Do in the Shadows. I don't think I've ever seen that. You need, did you see Thor Ragnarok? Yeah. Did you like it? It was, yeah, it was, yeah. I Did like all like the Marvel movies. The the guy that played the rock man that's like, this is my friend Jeb, he's dead. Yeah. Okay, so he is the director of What We Do in the Shadows. Uh-huh. And so that movie is like 70 to 90% improvised and it's just ridiculously funny. All right, that's, uh, I, that's on my list now. Yeah. All right. What's your favorite, third question, what's your favorite kind of comedy? I really like scatological humor. What guy does it? I do too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, anything to do with like poop, I love. You know, and what's funny is like I don't know if that's just a guy thing because we always think poop is funny, and you know, because we're perpetually five years old or what. But you know, thanks for the honesty on that. Yeah, that is that awesome. Is. All right, uh, fourth question: You get to play a practical joke on your brother. What do you do? Oh wow, there's so many good options. Hmm. You don't even have to answer that. Just think about it and do it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I don't want to give away the secret. <laughs> Number five. Yeah, do you have a favorite joke? Of like yeah, mine yeah. or any that... joke? Any joke that you like? You know, this is like my go-to joke. I'm in a social setting. This is my favorite joke. I like to tell. Hmm. I have to pause it because I have to think. I don't have. I don't really have a go-to. Oh, that's cool. Joke. I just like you know a lot of people. You know, they have a joke they like to tell. Like mine. You, I, Scatological humor. Why did Tigger look in the toilet? He was looking for poo. I love that. I, I love that. I love. I love that joke. Love it. So anyway, thanks so much for you know taking the time out to spend a little time. I know I, I got a lot from our conversation and from your talk this morning, and I know the listeners will as well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, there you go, David Tarvin. I hate the fact that I lost this interview for so long, but I love the fact that I found it. In, re- in re-listening to it, uh, how I know it's a great conversation from my perspective is that when I was listening to it, I was laughing at the same parts um, as I was as when we were talking in person. So, you know, reach out to David, connect with him. I'm also going to encourage you to go to our website, aath.org. Uh, check out the conference lineup. Uh, we're going to have a lot of great speakers this year, just like David. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, don't be sitting back in June saying, I wish I would have done that. No! Register now while there's still time. So as always, this is Chip Lutz saying, we'll keep the laugh on for you. Thanks for listening to Laugh Box. If you'd like to learn more about AATH, visit our website at www.aath.org or email the host at chip at unconventionalleader.com. And if you'd like to be particularly awesome, leave us a review on iTunes and or tell your friends about how awesome the podcast is unless you didn't think it was awesome and then just keep it your little secret or tell them it was awesome and then laugh to yourself about how you're going to be wasting an hour of their time while you're out doing something productive like handing out heads of cabbage at a Miley Cyrus concert (laughs) thanks again for listening and may the farce be with you